dark and troubling times. We are grateful for you and grateful for the work of the Lord. Thank you, beloved. St. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and and could in no wise lift up herself. She tried to. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, he answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd that was there, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, y'all come and be healed on one of them and don't do this on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord, I like that right there, answered him and said, you hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? Then so ought not this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all (laughs) the glorious things that were done by him. Let the church of the living God say amen, amen, and amen. I want to tag this message today, a savior, a sister, and a situation. A savior, a sister, and a situation. Family, every now and then in the scriptures, you and I get a look at what I call is the effects of sin, Satan, and situations inside of the local church. Today's story is a picture of exactly that. You see, there's a poor woman in our text, daughter Lisa, who's been affected by a wicked spirit that has this woman bound and afflicted by the evil one. And this text also shows to us a religious leader who is also bound and afflicted by sin. And 
He's this way against his will. She's that way against her will. And nevertheless, Jesus shows up in the synagogue to deal with both situations. Now, this lesson today is powerful and has a lot of things that the believer traveling in this fallen world can learn from. So let's look at three elements in the text today. And I'm sure they will help us on our journey in this second Sunday in the new year. Let's examine this sister's condition. Let's examine the sister's cure and let's land the plane looking at the sister's conflict. Let's unpack it. Verse 10, the sister's conditions. Now, as he was teaching, you should underline that word, in one of the synagogues. Did you see that there? It was on the Sabbath. Verse 11, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. And she had this for 18 years. Somebody say 18. And in these 18 years, she was bent over or bowed together. And according to the diagnosis, she in no way could raise herself up. Can I unpack this for you? Beloved, when we arrive at this portion of the text, you and I get to see, first of all, Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues. And he's teaching on the Sabbath day. Now, this would not normally be something that was unusual. But here, the fact that Luke says it's one of the synagogues implies that it's significant for you to pay attention to. Why? Why? Because this certain synagogue had two types of problems going on. And Jesus shows up in that specific synagogue on that Sabbath Saturday morning as the visible presence of the invisible God. Second of all, it implies, Lisa, daughter, that he had never been in there before. <laughs> Imagine having a church that God never showed up in. That's what's happening in this passage today. Are you listening here? Now, there was, not only was Jesus there in the synagogue, but the Bible says he was teaching. The Greek word uses an interesting uh, phraseology for this. It's the word didasko, and it means to literally explain, or a word that you and I use at New Beginnings to um, expositionally explain the text. The rabbis in those days did not stand behind pulpits like I stand behind today, but they sat down in the position of teaching in front of the congregation. It was the seat of authority. Here it is. That day, that Sabbath morning, God was in the house. And he was the rabbi on the program. And he was teaching. So you know they had never heard a sermon like that. Can I say some more? But secondly, we see there is two spirits in the room. There's the spirit of God and there's the spirit of the evil one. Both of them are working. You decide who's going to win. What a moment. What a treasure. 
What a day to have Jesus, the Logos of God, in the preaching place. Incredible. Tonga, I can't help but want right here. I know that uh, God wants his pulpits back. In other words, he wants to be the center of attention in every house this morning. And I believe that he can do that if we just give the word and get out of the way. Does that make sense? Secondly, we get to see in this passage that there's a spiritual conflict in the text. As I mentioned earlier, in this text, we see a woman who's been physically attacked by a demon. And this demon has caused her, daughter Dina, great physical and bodily harm. This is a conflict family because this woman has been made in the image of God, the Imago Day of God. So literally you have the satanic underworld attacking the very image of God. Are you with me here? And has marred her in humanity's existence so that she's bowed together. She looks hideous. Uh, can I say it this way, uh, Deacon Roy? She don't look human anymore. And he has caused her to live this way for 18 years. Somebody say 18 years. I heard the team in here say, that's a long time, Pastor. That's right. See, this form of warfare was devastating for this child of God. That This wasn't a fight that she only had a week a day, two weeks, or had to quarantine over. No, this was an 18-year sentence. And this text gives us a picture, Brother Johnny, of a sister who's suffering and who has had to endure an assault from the underworld that wrecked her life. Um, let me give you the medical uh, uh, diagnosis. Her spine had become bent together so that she was forced to walk around and look at the ground everywhere that she went. In addition to this, this evil spirit had picked her out of everyone else in her family, in her community, in her, in her generation to bother. She wasn't possessed. She wasn't influenced, she wasn't oppressed, but she was afflicted. Did you catch it? And she had no one in authority, with authority, who understood authority, who could do something about it. Because the text says she could in no wise lift up herself. It implies she tried. Can I say some more? It's a little hard for me to get away from this condition. Ed, can I deal with it some more? For 18 years, she was bullied by this demon. For 18 years, she was controlled and afflicted with the intention of ruining her life. Uh, he couldn't, the demon, and didn't possess her. Didn't have permission to do that. But he did have permission to afflict her. Now this reveals something to me, family. Uh, it reveals to me that the underworld won't settle 
for just possessing a human being. No, uh, the underworld wants influence in situations. I'm going to come back and pick this up, but he was able to afflict her in order to influence the rest of the congregation. Are y'all in here? Brother Reuben, thank you for being here. In Lamore, I'm glad you're watching, brother. This demon likes to oppress individuals. Uh, and guess what they like to do? They will afflict humans with illness if they have the opportunity and the authority to do so. Can I pause for just a moment? Ever wonder how coronavirus has so many people in fear? Satan runs with fear and likes to use it, right, to keep you from trusting, here it is, having faith and hope in God. Here he could attack this woman and for 18 years people would see her in this condition. Thirdly, I look in this text, I look in this text, according to Jewish traditions, because she was a woman, Brother Roy, she was also treated as a second class citizen. Because women in those days had no rights. They were considered as property. And because she was a woman, she was not only uh, culturally uh, mistreated by her own folks, but the Roman authority, the occupying government mistreated her. Are you with me here? So let's, let's run this back again. She had physical deformities. She had satanic trouble and problems in her life. And then on top of that, she had a whole society that rejected her and looked down on her. This woman had a condition that only God could fix. Can I get a witness through that? She had a condition that no man could tame. She had a condition that only the Lord God of heaven and earth could solve. And the scripture said that she was physically in this place bound together. Mm. I wrote myself a note, family. This sister must have been hideous to look at. She must have been like uh, many in our society today who we deem unfortunate. That's too bad. Or look at him or her or there's no cure. Well, I take from this passage that in spite of her ailments and in spite of her demonic issues, guess what, y'all? She kept coming to the house of the Lord in spite of her situation not changing. Here it is. She had a determination, daughter Dina, to get better. Uh, Sister Nina, I'm glad you're here. She, she, she kept coming to worship, even with the devil attacking her body. She kept coming to worship, even with the demon at work on her mind. She kept coming to worship with the odds of life against her. She kept coming to worship. Watch this now. In spite of what she looked like, in spite of what she felt like, and in spite of the obstacles that were stacked up against her, she kept coming because she kept looking for her change to come. Can I turn the light on right here? Somebody listening to me today, you need to take your cues from this woman in the text. 
You should be encouraged this morning that your situation is not like this sister's situation, but you can learn from her today. See, if this woman could keep coming to worship in spite of things not going her way, then you can too. If she could keep coming to worship in spite of the evil one afflicting her body, then you can too. If she kept coming to worship in spite of the public humiliation and embarrassment and physical pain and satanic opposition for 18 years, then you can too. I like this right here because she helps me to see that if you want to get rid of demonic affliction, if you want to get rid of depression, and obstacles that are wrecking your mind and your life. You got to keep coming to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is the place where you get freed from any and all of the attacks on your life. I wish I had a witness right there. There's something happening in the house of the Lord. Story is told, Reverend Tong of a great preacher, who had a braggadocious little poodle dog. This dog was said to be notorious for barking out of the front door. Every day at a certain time, the neighbors would be walking their big dogs up the block. The little dog would take the opportunity, Brother Ed, to run and hit the screen, threatening the big dogs that were walking in front of his door. One day, the owner's children went out to play and forgot to latch the screen door. About two o'clock, that dog came walking up the street and the little dog kept doing what she always did. She got a running start and ran and hit that screen door. And y'all know the rest, the door flew open. And all of a sudden, the little dog found herself face to face with the big dogs in the neighborhood. Preacher telling the story, he said he'd never heard that dog cry like she cried before. Cried and clawed, clawed and cried to get back on the inside. Can I tell you what's happening here? She discovered real quick there's safety in the house. There's protection in the house. You can get away from the fears of life outside if you just stay in the house. And I don't know about you, but in 2021, my mind's made up, Roy. Ain't nothing else hiding out there for me. I'm going to find myself in the house of the Lord. Can I get a witness through that? We've looked at the sister's condition. Let's look now at the sister's cure. The Bible says in verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, you should underline that. He called her to him and he said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. Oh, what a beautiful picture. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Beloved, when we arrive at this portion of the text, you and I see Jesus responding to a condition of 
horrific yes proportions a daughter is in need and has been held hostage against her will now according to the text Jesus is sitting down as the rabbi teaching and as he's teaching he's scanning the audience and in his peripheral he sees somebody that can't see him she can't see him because she's bound together. But the Lord sees her. Y'all catch it right there? This story is powerful because we get a look at the willing Savior dealing with somebody who's been rejected by men, dealing with somebody who's been talked about in the world, dealing with somebody who is under the oppression and the occupation, yes, of the underworld. She's looking for God even when she can't see God. And God sees her. And he shows up and with divine communication. The Bible says he called her to himself. Isn't that powerful? Now look, as he, as he calls her, She's walking to him. He's still talking to her. <laughs> and in the process of her coming, he says to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Did you catch it? Okay, somebody missed it, so let me back up. The call came. The word came. Come here. Notice, he didn't heal her before he called her. <laughs> God always calls before he heals. He calls her unto him. And then as she responds to the call, then he says the word. You are loose from your 18-year sentence. Can I say some more? But notice this. She doesn't get upright until the third thing happens. He touches her. Did you catch it right there? See, a lot of us have been called to him for salvation. In the coming to him, we get a word pronounced about our situation from him. But we still got problems. We still are walking in the form that the demonic had done to us. Come on, talk to me. Somebody's struggling with your sobriety. Come on, talk to me. Somebody's struggling with your sexuality. Come on, talk to me. Somebody's struggling with any problem in the world. Just keep coming, baby. Just keep coming. You heard the call. Just keep coming because the touch is next. Good God Almighty, I felt something right through there. Can I say some more? The Bible says he laid, hey, his hand on her. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it was the same hand that scooped out the valleys, carved up meandering streams. It was the same hand that described Pluto, made Jupiter, made Mars, made the lunar system. The same hands that made the butterfly, the hummingbird, the giraffe, and the zebra. The same hands that made an alligator and a leper. He touched her. Are you with me here? This ain't no ordinary hand. This is the hand of God. 
And this ain't even an anthropomorphic expression, no. This is the visible image of the invisible God. This is an actual hand. <laughs> I just thought I dropped that in there. Can I say some more? He laid his hands on her, which gives you and I the picture that God, yes, is willing to get involved with those who are hurting and who are suffering and who are living under the hand, watch this, of an oppressive system, of a satanic spirit, and of the brokenness of spirit. God is willing to get involved. What a touch. What a privilege. What an opportunity. Here it is, Johnny. After 18 years, I'm talking to somebody who know about doing time. Come on in here. And after 18 years of suffering, seasons of disappointments, hard days and hard nights, tear-stained pillows, God decides your sentence is served and gives her some relief, gives her some freedom, gives her Roy, here it is, a new beginning. The Lord saw her, saw her pain, daughter Nina, and when he did that, he was moved to touch her. See, when Jesus touches somebody, there is always evidence of the divine work. Can I argue my case? She didn't stand up right until he touched her. See, see, some people are, are questioning your call. They're questioning the promise God declared for you. And they're questioning it because they haven't seen the evidence. Just keep watching. <laughs> I think I just dropped something right there. Just keep watching because God doesn't always do it all at the same time. Now, every now and then, there's a soul that drops out of the scripture and God does it all. But every now and then, he does it this way. He calls, he commands, and then he contacts. What a touch. What a touch. All my brothers and my sisters, he touched her. It's a little hard for me to go any further in the text because I'm just stuck right there. Oh, he touched her. <laughs> he touched her. And guess what he did? He changed her future and her past. Now, who you know could do that? He touched her and gave this sister a brand new start after 18 years. He touched her. Watch this, Roy. And he made Deke the devil behave. <laughs> Did you catch that there? He touched her, Sophie. He touched her, Heather, and altered her existence by changing her world completely. Good God Almighty. Only a touch from Jesus, beloved, can make this kind of difference in a person's life. Here's my question. Is there anyone in the house today who needs evidence that Jesus has all power, then this text is all you need. See, if there's anybody wondering if Jesus has power over the demonic, over the world's systems, this text is all you need. If there's anybody here getting tired of waiting on the Lord, this text, Pastor Tom, is a reminder, hold on, beloved, because help is on the way.
just like the woman in this text, the believer can hold fast to the perseverance that God only works in his time. Just keep coming. Story is told of a great prayer warrior whose name was George Mueller. Praying George had some friends that he loved. And Sister Wilson, he thought it important to intercede for the life of these five buddies that he had. The story is told that it took Mueller 25 years to see all of his friends come to faith in Jesus Christ. But he never gave up. He says the first two years that he prayed, two of them got saved. Over the next 15 years, two more got saved. But it wasn't until the 25th year and the Lord called him home that the friend got saved after the departure. Here's what I want you to know. Mueller understood that if he just held on and he persevered in faith, he might not see the miracle in his life, but that God was obligated because he persevered in prayer and with faith and trusted God for the salvation of his family. And guess what God did? He answered his prayer. Who am I talking to today? Come on, Grandma. Come on in here. Come on in here. Don't you get discouraged praying for your grandchildren. Don't you get discouraged praying for that son who looked like he ain't gonna never come in. Don't you get discouraged praying for that daughter who looked like she too far out there. You persevere in faith, persevere in prayer, and leave the rest to God. We ought to learn from this passage to keep holding on, no matter how bad it gets. We ought to learn from this passage to press on because there's hope, yes, in the house of the Lord. There's help in the house of the Lord. And God always answers the prayers of his children. This week, we all were arrested at the sight of our own countrymen who were so frustrated, so upset, so enamored with a falling political system that they felt like the world had done them an injustice. And as I looked at the pictures on my television screen, and I'm sure you did the same, my heart broke because I recognized they had their hope in a savior that couldn't save. They didn't even recognize that political systems come and they go. Nations and dynasties change all the time. They've been doing it for over 5,000 years. There's going to be a new president. There's going to be a new mayor. There's going to be a new laws. And can I tell somebody? They all are fallen. They all are wicked. They are all under the reign of the God, little g of this world, Satan. Our kingdom is not of this world. Believers don't have their hopes in fading nations. Our hope is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you see what happens when people lose hope. When people lose hope, they need a savior. 
When people need hope, they need love. When people are in darkness, they need light. What do you mean, Pastor? I stopped by to tell you today, what the world needs today is an introduction to Jesus. What America needs today is the answer for the cares of their soul. What America needs today is for the church of Jesus Christ to stand tall, to stand with the light of God upon us and to give the world the love that they need. I know a government that never fails. I know a savior that'll never let you down. I know one who will give you hope and peace even when he don't give you what you want. I believe that's right. We've looked at the woman's condition. We've looked at the woman's cure. Let me give you now the woman's conflict. The Bible says in verse 14, after Jesus healed her, touched her, set her free, but the ruler of the synagogue, he answered with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. He didn't trying to tell Jesus what to do. The Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite. Don't each one of you on the Sabbath day lose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it to water it, give it relief. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it, he said, for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said this, all his adversaries were put to shame. Did you see that? And then he says, and all of the multitude rejoice for all the glorious things that were done by him. Beloved, in this final portion of the text, we see here, conflict arise in this lesson. It's the image of one who has a problem with his own sin nature and a problem with humanity and a problem with God. Y'all see it? He, he actually was the spiritual leader in the synagogue. Okay, you can say it. This preacher was messed up. Go ahead and say it. He was supposed to lead people to God. He was supposed to introduce them to a God encounter and a time of spiritual reflection. Yet it appears that in his professional duty, he don't even know God. Can I say some more? Boy, I'm tempted to run that rabbit just a little bit. Can, can I be a country preacher and just chase it for a minute? Isn't that like pulpits today? Preachers who don't really spend time with God don't know how to lead people to a reflection time with God. Preachers who don't really know God don't really understand the word of God, misinterpret the commands of God. 
Preachers who don't really know God, don't know how to lead people to a reflection with God, and don't know how to understand the scripture of God, can't possibly even recognize when God is speaking in their own service. And as a result, conflict is all in his own heart. I don't know how I got out there, but it felt good, Brother Roy. Here it is. Let me say it this way. His flesh is out of control. And so much, so much we know it's his flesh, he rejects the miracle that God just did. You see that there? He reflects the idea that people should not receive mercy from God on that particular religious day. Secondly, what we see in this text and we see here, yes, we see here what I call, Reverend Tong, is a demonic attitude on display in the synagogue. What do you mean? Instead of there being, watch this now, a spirit of rejoicing over the 18-year sentence of the member in the church, she got delivered. Her stronghold is broken. Instead of there being a celebration, you see an evil protest over what God has done. <laughs> no empathy, brother, no compassion on display, but conflict is quickly unleashed on the woman and on the congregation. He's talking to Jesus, but he's acting like he's in the third person. Y'all see it there? The Bible says, don't make it up, look it up. The Bible says, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He got indignant. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says, and he said, daughter Nina, to the crowd. You see it right there? There are six days in which you ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on one of them and not on the Sabbath day. Here's a good picture of religious rules. Are you with me here? They had a rule that you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. We got it. God rested on the Sabbath and we ought to rest on the Sabbath. But God never rests saving humanity. He's always at work redeeming the world, giving mercy, giving grace, giving relief. But this man was so religious, he'd rather God not help nobody. And that's why Jesus had to address him like he did. Can I say some more? This ruler of the synagogue, he acted in a demonic way. See, in his behavior was evidence that he opposed the work of Christ in the local church. In his behavior tongue was a visible protest of Christ's visible presence. In his behavior, Brother Johnny, was a public rebuke of God's mercy in the life of this woman. In his behavior, Ed, was an act of aggression that was influenced by the underworld. Say some more. That this behavior was forced upon this man. It was in his heart and it came out. But the underworld had to remove his grip on this lady's life. And so in his influence in that synagogue, he made this ruler misbehave. 
thirdly in the text, we see Jesus in return expose his sin. You see it? God always exposes sin. He always exposes sin. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. The Bible says, Jesus said to him in this passage, you hypocrite. Don't each one of you loose your ox on the Sabbath day? Don't each one of you let your donkey out to get water? How come then this daughter of Abraham made in the image of God who Satan has bound these 18 years, how come she shouldn't be loose on the Sabbath day? Did you catch it? Here Jesus exposes the heart of this religious leader. He exposes his words. He exposes his deception and he exposes who he's really following. He first called him a hypocrite. That that's the Greek word for actor, right? It was the, the, the actor on stage who wore two masks. Jesus said, here it is. You are acting like you are a synagogue ruler. But really behind the scenes, you are a ruler for the underworld. Can I say some more? He gave him an example. He said, you show relief to your property. Shouldn't God show relief to his? <laughs> you say your ox or your donkey needs rest from their burden. Well, I say my daughter needs relief from her burden. Isn't that good? I like that right there. And then, then the Bible makes it real interesting. It shows the conflict. This one got me on the way to church this morning. The Bible says when he said this, Jesus did. Watch this now. All. You should circle that word. All his adversaries. What? There were more like him in the church. Y'all catch it? There were more like the synagogue ruler against what God was doing in the earth. But wait a minute. They were in the house of the Lord. Yep. They were in worship. Yep but they were not worshipers. In other words, this ruler had produced more people just like him. I'm off my script, but I feel like preaching today. Can I tell you what happens in the pulpit will happen in the pew. Yeah, yeah. If I start having a problem with people being set free and delivered by God, pretty soon that attitude is spread in the congregation. And you won't want those kind of people in your church. You won't want people with addictions in your church. You, want people, you won't want people struggling with sexual identity in your church. You won't want people who are of a certain uh, political affiliation in your church because you have a certain way you think about those people. Good God Almighty. I like this right there. Conflict was in the house. Conflict was around this woman's day of celebration. I'm through now, but let me show you one more thing. There are some places in the earth, brothers and sisters, the evil one likes to dwell in. Yeah. 
Can I help you going forward in 2021? There's some places that the evil one is comfortable hanging out in. There are some leadership slots that have his personality on them. So you shouldn't be surprised when your policemen, your firemen, your doctor, your nurses, your store clerk at Walmart or Costco, your deacon, your preacher, your ushers, acting wild, acting contrary to the thing of God. Why? The devil likes to hang out in those places where people frequent. Can I say some more? God doesn't want us to be afraid of them. He just simply wants to move. And wherever God moves, you need to know this, conflict arises. This woman been held hostage, but God set her free. And conflict came. On the day of her celebration, on my brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged about conflict today. No, because here it is. Lisa, daughter, conflict comes with Christianity. Y'all catch it right there? Whenever God is working in the earth, grace and mercy is usually followed by conflict. Why? Conflict is the proof that the satanic residue and the opposition of the underworld has been squashed. <laughs> ah, let me just cut across. Can I give you the hip hop definition? There ought to always be a little hell in your life because God is working. He's doing something new. Whenever he blesses you, there ought to be a little problems come along somewhere else. Ever wonder how God can bless you? Then the next day you got something you got to deal with. <laughs> Conflict comes, Dina, with Christianity. Absolutely. Well, I got to leave you now, but we can learn from this message that sin, yeah, in God's house is always going to be addressed by the word of God, but will always produce conflict after God moves in the house of the Lord. Well, I was thinking about this text, Dina, and I closed my Bible in the study. I was asking the Lord, how do I land the plane? He said, keep looking in the text. And remember when I led my son in the earth to do miracles? Check the miracles. Remember when he gave sight to the blind? I said, yes, sir. Conflict came after that. Remember when he cast out demons? Yes, sir. Conflict came after that. Remember when he fed 5,000? Two fish and five loaves, conflict came after that. Remember when he prayed to me in the garden that if there was any other way, humanity might be saved, Lord, do it. He got up, went to the cross, and guess what happened? Conflict came. See, grace and mercy is on display at Calvary, but so is conflict. Even Jesus, the son of the most high God, had to experience conflict even while doing the work of the Lord. 
That means that you and I in 2021, as we obey God, we must be prepared as soldiers and vessels and witnesses of the Most High God to experience conflict even after we get victories. I'm trying to close right here. I said, I'm trying to close right here. But can't you see him, Lisa, stretched high? Drop low. A crown of thorns is on his head. Nails is in his hands. Nails are in his feet. Victory's on his mind. But conflict is in his life. And as he hangs there, defeating the sin that's in Angelus Dion Wilson, conflict is also racking his body. He's obeying the Lord. He's living in the center of God's will. And as a result of that conflict, it's still on his mind. Bible says he died. Didn't he die? For the people in the back, he died. And the earth rocked and riddled like a drunken man. He died. Grandma said heaven went into mourning. Earth went into confusion. But hell got happy. And he kept dying. Went into the tomb. And in the tomb, he took the sting out of death. Victory over the grave. And early, I said early, Sunday morning, with all power of heaven and earth in his hands, God the Father raised Jesus the Christ. And now he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and for I as we do the work and the will of God on earth during conflict. Beloved, conflict is supposed to come when you are walking with God, worshiping God, witnessing for God, doing your best to love a fallen humanity. Conflict is gonna come. Conflict is in the world because we have a satanic presence Yes, conflict is in the world because we have a fallen humanity. But most of all, conflict is in the world because Christians are in the world. And the visible image of the invisible God is on display. And therefore, conflict must come. But greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. So be encouraged, beloved. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Yes. And so will you too. I praise God for you new beginnings. 2021 is going to be a year of great challenges. But we can look back and see the miraculous, the miracles, the mercy, the grace of God that's brought us through this far. I'm going to ask my son to come and get the invitation this morning to salvation and an invitation to church membership. Reverend Tong will pray for you. I want to ask you this morning to join him in prayer. Recite what he asks you to recite. Make a fresh pledge to the Lord today. And I'm going to come back after he concludes with final words of exhortation. May the Lord bless Would you stand and help me sing that old hymn of the church? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now 
Thank you for the songs they sang that warmed our heart by the way. Thank you, O oh God, for another privileged time to open your word, to preach and teach to these, your people. Would you meet us now as we walk through the text? Give me now preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. And to this end, we'll be mindful that when we're through to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen and amen amen while you're standing while you're standing the gospel according to Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 thank you for watching at home we invite you next week to leave that place of abode and come in social distance with us in the sun there's a beautiful crowd out here today. Come on, make some noise, somebody. You should be here. You should be here. Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Verse 54. I want to thank 
my son, the great evangelist, Reverend White. What a job he did last week. My, 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 my. I don't know if you can hear me shouting all the way from Santa Barbara, but I was yelling, preach, Reverend. He was doing it. Thank you, Reverend. I love you. I love you so much. Luke 12, verse 54. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming and so it is and when you see the south wind blow you say there will be hot weather today and there is hypocrites you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth but how is it you cannot discern the times. Yes, and why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, unless he drag you to the judge, and the judge drag you to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. But I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last might. And all God's children said, oh my, oh my. Amen. amen. You may be seated. I'm going to tag this message today, the call of discernment, what every believer needs today. Thank you, brothers, for your ministry this morning. Family, have you ever knew something bad was going to happen, but you ignored the warning signs? Have you ever had a chance to escape danger, but refused to exercise discernment? And you did that because you thought this couldn't possibly happen to me. I'll never forget what happened to me on the first day, Brother Lorda, of middle school. Sarah and my homeboy and I were walking home, and we got close to our neighborhood when suddenly we heard the feet of the 112th Street Hoover Crips running and chasing home everybody that lived in the Raymond Avenue territory. Sarah saw him first and said, I'm running. And I told Sarah, I ain't scared of no Hoover Crips. As they kept coming, he took off and I kept walking. And y'all know what? I made the biggest mistake of my life. That day I experienced violence like I'd never had before. I took a beat down, Pee Wee, that's still with me 48 years later. You know why? I refused to discern what time it was. Lady Nichols, somebody looking at me today has been there too. You saw the storm clouds coming. You heard the feet of the evil one running after you. But instead of doing the right thing, you acted like this can't happen to me. And as a result, you and I both suffered from what I call a lack of discernment. And what a tragedy. 
to experience suffering because you didn't use discernment. What a tragedy to get knots and bruises because you wouldn't exercise discernment. What a tragedy to experience unwanted pain and suffering that could have been avoided had you exercised discernment. I just got one more. Can I say it? What a tragedy to hurt your own self with ignorance because you knew what to do but decided I'm not going to do it. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching against today in this passage. So I stopped by to tell you on my way to chapter 13 that what we need in the world now more than ever is Christians who can exercise discernment to know what time it is and know what they ought to do concerning the times. Reverend Nicholson, there are two things in this passage Jesus is revealing to the disciples who are following him. Number one, he's opening for them their observations regarding discernment. And the second thing he's opening is their opportunities to practice discernments. So I got two points, their observations and there are opportunities. Y'all going to work with me? Just four quick verses and I'll be up out of your way. Verse 54, the Bible says, Then he also said, Reverend Mason, to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, The weather is going to be hot today. And it is, you hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you can't discern the time? Now, them verses is loaded right there. The first thing we see in this verse, Mason, is that Jesus is revealing to the disciples their ability to discern when something is about to happen in their lives. And he gives the analogy, Brother Reuben, of the weather observations. He says, you can see the storm clouds gathering, and you can even declare it's about the rain. Or you can feel the winds changing and discern today's going to be hot. However, what you cannot do is discern the times. Watch this. And you can't discern it because you won't discern it. And that's why he calls them hypocrites. Y'all catch it? You can see it, but you don't want to see it. He's saying as a result, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it you won't discern the times? Jesus in this text calls them a very familiar word, Reverend Tom. We've talked about it several weeks, the hypocrite. Well, the hypocrite was that Greco-Roman uh, actor who worked in theater. Y'all heard me talk about this several times. Back then, they wore masks on a stick. And when they would come out on the stage, Sister Rie, they would have the mask pointed in one direction. And then when they turned the mask, Sister Arias, 
there was another face on the other side. They were called hypocrites. They were actors. And Jesus is saying this because you are acting one way when you really know the other way. Can I say some more? God's simply trying to warn somebody today about acting like you understand, but behaving like you could care less. Sister Bunch, she's trying to warn you and I, daughter, to pay attention to what you are seeing and what you are doing. He's trying to warn us, Reverend Bowdry, that you can't ignore the truth of his word and act like you love his word, too. You can't be a hypocrite when it comes to the things of God. And so hear the word of the Lord today. If I were you and I was acting the part of a hypocrite, I'd knock it off, Brother Sean, and I'd live the life I'm supposed to live in the face of a holy God. I'm going to walk through tall grass this morning, all right? Y'all going to help me? If I were you and I was acting a part of a hypocrite, I would knock it off and I would live in the truth of what God thinks about me and not what the world wants from me. If it was me, I'd quit acting one way and live in the truth and the right way. Jesus is saying to the multitude, quit playing the role of a two-faced actor. On another note, I learned something in this passage. See, according to the Greco-Roman culture, being a hypocrite was the thing to be. Brother Roy, they paid actors real good. And according to your acting skills, Sister Cooley, the better actor got the better pay. I think I'll stop right there. So on one hand, it was to your earthly benefit to play the role of a hypocrite. But Jesus uses it as a spiritual analogy to say this is a bad thing to behave and to act like. But I wonder here, I wonder here, and I don't want to pick on nobody. I just want you to know that I understand why you might be playing the hypocrite. Perhaps. The reason you play the hypocrite is you like what the lifestyle provides. Perhaps the money is just so good. Perhaps you say, Pastor, you don't know, man, I'm living in a global pandemic. I need to act this way so I can keep my lights on. I need to act that way so I can drive what I like to drive. Perhaps it's the likes. And the other boys and girls, that makes being a hypocrite not so bad. Perhaps a little weed ain't hurting nobody. Uh, perhaps it's just liking the attention and the comforts that life can bring you that you can really play the hypocrite when it comes to God. The hypocrite was paid well, Reverend White. But the sad thing is, when they got off the stage, they were still just as miserable. Amen, amen. And I'm praying today, I've been wrestling with this text boundary. I'm praying that somebody will resign this morning from trying to please the world 
and trying to please God too. I'm praying today, Lady White, that somebody will resign from trying to be something that they're really not, daughter. I'm praying that somebody will give up the stage life for the simple life. I'm praying today that somebody, brother Lord, will resign from trying to please the crowd and just be who God made you to be and submit to his plan for your life. Ran across the story this week. I thought, Brother Terry, it was pretty humorous because I felt like after that point, I need a laugh right in there. There was this man who wanted to impress his friends. He had taken up a hobby, Sister Zuniga, of being an art critic. So he invited all of his boys to go with him to the local art gallery, daughter. And when he got there, he reached into his pocket and recognized he left his glasses at home. And he couldn't see without his glasses, but he figured they don't know nothing about art. I'll just fake it till I make it. He got inside and he went to the very first frame he could find, Pastor Widow. And he got to the frame and he quickly said, what a hideous and ugly piece of work. I mean, it is really a poor rendition of what the author was trying to paint. And he went on and on to criticize this piece that he was looking at. When all of a sudden, Reverend White, his homeboys begin to laugh. Wife came up behind him and whispered in his ears, Honey, you're looking in the mirror. Did you catch it? In other words, the man didn't use discernment. And instead, he tried to wing it. And as a result, he ended up looking like a fool. All I'm trying to tell you is true discernment will keep you, Sister Carla, from looking like a fool. I thought it was funny to me. All right. We looked at the disciples' observation. Let's look now at the disciples' opportunity. And I'm through. The Bible says in verse 57 that Jesus says, And yes, why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? Why don't you just judge what is right, he's saying. Verse 58. For when you go to your adversary, your enemy, to the magistrate, make every effort to get along and to settle with him unless he drag you to the judge. And then the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you in the prison. For I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last mite or the very last penny. Lady McBee, it's good to see you. Daughter, when we arrive at this second portion of the scripture, we see Jesus giving the crowd an opportunity to exercise discernment while, here it is, they are facing opposition. According to the passage, 
Jesus is making them aware of their inability to make right decisions for themselves. He says, why can't y'all decide for yourself what's right? He then gives them an example of what he's talking about. Uh, Lady Baldry, he says, when you are on your way to civil court with your accuser, daughter, try to settle the matter before you get there. Otherwise, your accuser may drag you before the judge and the judge will hand you over to the police and the police will throw you into the jail. Y'all see it right there? Here it is. Settle the matter with your enemy before somebody else settles it for you. He says, he says, Mason, uh, in other words, exercise discernment and know what's going to happen to you before it happens. I wrote myself a note, then I took it out, but I'm going to put it back in this morning. If you know you've done wrong, then you better expect wrong is coming. Y'all in here? If you know you've been misbehaving, don't act like misbehavior ain't coming your way. He said, use some discernment. If I mistreated somebody, let me go fix it before they invite somebody else in to fix it for me. Jesus, what he does in this text is lays out the importance, Mother Ross, of having discernment. In other words, we all need to exercise discernment in this life as Christians. Brother Ed, secondly, he says, if you exercise discernment, it'll keep you from misbehaving against people. Huh? It got mighty quiet right around through there. It, it, what a powerful lesson. Discernment will make me think before I cuss her out. Discernment will make me think before I just ram that car a little bit for cutting me off. I ain't got no help through there, Lady Tongue. I'm by myself. The sermon will make me think before I cut her down or cut him down and spread this lie that they ain't got coming. What a powerful lesson. Reminds me of another story I read this week. Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said this. There was a man who was taking a bus ride with his son, and the bus was completely jam-packed. And his little boy was off the chain. You know, they thought he had ADD or something. He was running up and down the aisles, stepping on people's feet and just having a big old time. And the man didn't say anything, Sister Arias. Finally, one of the passengers on the bus got so mad, they went and approached the dad. They said, look, I've been looking at you and you unkept. Your hair ain't kept, your, your eyes is all red. Why don't you make this little boy behave? Finally, the father looked up at him and said, I'm, I'm so sorry. You see, his mama just died in the hospital a few hours ago. And I'm just trying to figure out how to tell him as we go to see her. The man stood back and realized 
what a fool he was. See, he judged somebody without discerning that something else could be happening in their lives. True story right there. Can I say some more right here? This man didn't get it, but the accuser in the story was not a man of discernment. And as a result, he became a man of offense. How many times have you done that? How many times have you judged the book by its cover? How many times have you judged a single mama? How many times have you judged a single man? How many times have you judged a widow or a widower? Come, I feel my help already. How many times have you judged a co-worker? You don't really know why that mama got on drugs. You just got something to say about her having a drug problem. How many times have you not exercised discernment and act like you knew what was going on, but you didn't have a clue? Guess what God is trying to teach you and I, Reuben, to be people who slow to speak and quick to pray. What the church needs today. Y'all catch it right here? I ain't worried about the world because that's what the world do. I'm talking to Christians. What the church needs today is to exercise some discernment. Can I get another one, Sister Green? Thank you. Your amens matter. Can I have another one? What the church needs today is show the world how discernment works. I ain't worried about the world misbehaving. I'm worried about the church misbehaving. We so quick to blog. We so quick to tweet. We so quick to text, to post stuff on Facebook. But ain't nobody exercising discernment if it should be said. Jesus is getting ready to head to, 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 to Golgotha. Next week we'll be looking at 13. He's going to start making his way toward the cross. But before he does, he's checking the church along the way. Reminding the disciples that we must be men and women, Lady Rie, of discernment. I got to get out of here. But I'm glad the greatest man I ever knew was a man of discernment. Jesus. As the God man, Brother Cooley, always exercised discernment. Jesus exercised discernment when he called those 12 raggedy men. He could have called somebody much better white, but discernment made him choose that which was broken. Discernment made him choose the ones nobody else would choose. Discernment. Gave him an eye for that which nobody else could fix. I'm glad he exercised discernment. Did you notice he didn't always heal everybody? Only certain people got the healing because of his discernment. Did you recognize he didn't feed every multitude? He just used discernment on who he would help and when he would help them. I feel like walking through here. Jesus exercised discernment when he did miracles in nature. What do you mean? Everybody didn't see him walk on water. Everybody didn't see him wake up in the boat and rebuke the sea. Only a select few got to see him work like that. He exercised 
Discernment. Somebody holler discernment. When he talked the parables, nobody got the meaning until he pulled the 12 aside and said, let me explain this to you. Y'all in here? He exercised discernment when he preached his sermons outdoors. He could tell the times and the seasons and knew when it was right to offer himself up as a sacrifice to humanity. Can I park the car? Do you ever wonder why he waited to the Passover feast to give up his life? Discernment. He wanted to fulfill prophecy and have everything lined up. He could have gave himself up any time he wanted to. But he waited. Exercised discernment. A man of discernment. He could discern when the last miracle should happen. He would discern when he would preach his last sermon. He would discern McBee when he'd give his last teaching. And he would discern when he laid down his life. Come on in here. I say, come on in here. Didn't you hear him say, don't nobody take my life? But I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. Somebody holler, that's discernment. He was a man of discernment, I tell you. And when he thought the time was right, he submitted himself to the torturous pain of human sacrifice out on an old rugged cross. Being a man of discernment, he gave him the left hand and then he gave him the right hand. Being a man of discernment, gave his head to the thorns. And his feet to the nails. Being a man of discernment. Hey. Gave his side to the spear. Being a man of discernment. He checked all the prophetic scriptures. And when he got to the last one. Discernment says now you can cry it's finished. And because he discerned everything was done. He bowed his head in the locks of his shoulders. Died, didn't he die? He died because the sermon thought it good. They took the body down and he went into a borrowed tomb and the sermon would have him open the seeds of the grave, take the sting out of death and early, early, Sunday morning with all power when the father said now's the time discernment raised him and now he's sitting at the right hand of God discerning when the right time is to come back and get his church can you see now why he needs you to exercise discernment in the earth he needs you to not only be born again but to act born again when you use discernment, you can act like you know who you're following. You can act like God wants you to behave in the earth. I'm glad today discernment is on my side. I'm glad today I don't have to submit my life and my heart to the desires of my flesh. My flesh may want to knock him upside the head. But discernment say that's not good for the kingdom. 
My mouth might want to speak something against somebody, Coolie. But discernment said, no, that won't glorify God. My heart, Sister BJ, might want to get even because you did me wrong. But discernment said, no, what would Jesus do? Are you in here today? I said, are you in here today? I need about 10 of you that will just be honest with me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. Come on, somebody just say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm bound up to here with these people. And I believe that what God wants to do is empower you today. He wants to empower you to walk in the spirit so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Use discernment so you won't offend. Use discernment so you can bring God honor and glory in every area of your life. Would you bow with me today for an honest word of prayer? Our Father and our God, as Christians, we come humbly before your throne, willing to admit it's hard living down here. We come honestly today, wanting to pray a sickum prayer because we're tired of people mistreating us, lying on us, doing us wrong. But then we run into passages like these and we know it's your spirit. We thank you, spirit of the living God, for saying the hard things to us in difficult moments. We know that none of us are perfect and none of us get it right, but Lord, there are still those times when we want to say what we want to say. We need your help today. First of all, would you forgive us? Somebody holler, forgive me, Lord. Lord, would you help us? Would you give us discernment when it's time or when we're tempted with times of misbehavior? Help us, oh God, to walk in the upright way. Would you renew our hearts and renew our minds? Give us a greater determination to follow you and obey you. For we need it, Lord. Thank you for giving us the model for, for, for walking it for us. Teaching us how to be men and women of discernment. Thank you for cleansing us with your blood. And then thank you for giving us the power to exercise discernment in a fallen world. Now, Lord, if there is one who is here who does not know you, it's my prayer that this message might challenge, convict, convert, compel them to make a decision for you today. Oh, son, oh, daughter, if you are here today and you don't have a personal intimate relationship with Christ, you don't have the power to exercise discernment. It's not in you, but I know the one who can give it to you, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says, if you will confess him with your mouth 
and believe on him in your heart, you will be saved. For by grace, you are saved through faith and that not of yourself, but it's a gift from God, not of works, unless any of us could boast. Would you ask him to come into your heart today? By simply praying this prayer, we'll pray it with you. Say, Father, I'm a sinner and I need my sin forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I'm sorry for my sin against you. I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. Come into my heart and save me now. In your name I pray. Amen. Beloved, if you just prayed that prayer and you're online, would you please instantly right now just put a message for us in the DM. I just prayed that prayer. Pastor, call me. I'm going to reach out to you. We're going to reach out to you and explain to you the more excellent way. If you're here on land and you just prayed that prayer as well, immediately after church, if you will make your way to this podium where I stand, I want to meet with you and give you some wonderful good news about what you've just done. Thank you, beloved, for your patience today. Thank you for being a part of the worship experience. We're going to do two things right now. One, I'm going to get ready to release you to your automobiles, and I need your help. I need for you on your way out to remember the word of the Lord and to trust the Lord by giving him his offering through your act of worship today. New beginnings. I mentioned this week in a brief email and a video note for you that over the last now 14 months of the pandemic, we've lost close to 40% of our giving and we have fallen behind substantially and what we owe to our covenant landlords for both of these parcels. I know it looks like we're doing well, but the truth is a lot of you have walked away from your commitment to God. You quit giving to God. I don't know what you're doing with God's money, but it's his money. And you've done something else with it. And as a result, his house is going without the resources. So I stand today to challenge you as your pastor. Don't forget God. Don't leave God out. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today to go online and go to www.nbcbc.org. Click on the giving app and there you will see the 2021 Stewardship Challenge and find out how you can give to what you have failed to do in obedience to the Lord. Now, of course, I'm not talking to everybody. You know who you are. Those of you who've been faithful to the work of the kingdom, faithful to obeying God, thank you so much. We would have not been able to do what we have been able to do without you. So may the Lord continue to bless you and stretch your resources so that you can do more. 
but we need your help too. So we're asking for, just go to the webpage, please. I don't want to do put all our business out there on the web. I know somebody said, why pastor doing that on Facebook? Well, y'all made me do it. So go to the website, find out how you can help support your work. Now I need you to know a lot of people have quit going to church. You know them. They quit showing up to Bible studies. They quit going online to Christian education. They won't come to the parking lot. And I don't know where they're at. They won't respond to emails. They won't respond to texts. They're not responding to phone calls. That teaches me that we've lost a significant amount of our congregation. So we have to continue to do what God has called us to do. So let's step up, New Beginnings, amen? And let's do all that God has called us to do. Thank you so much for your loving kindness. Tell somebody you love, he ain't mad, he just pastor. He ain't mad, he just pastor. I'd be a poor shepherd if I didn't do that. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? On our way out today, Sister Linda, would you wave at me, love? Amen. You can give your offerings on, on the, uh, this table back there on the way out. Thank you so much. Our Father and our God, thank you today for this challenge. The call to exercise discernment. Now bless these, your people. Thank you for their obedience to your word. Thank you for their willingness to support the work of the kingdom, to make disciples, and to go out in the world and spread the glorious good news of the gospel. Father, we need you in so many ways. But we're not going to get anxious. We're not going to fret. We're not going to worry. Because you told us to do none of those things. But we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. And your righteousness. And know that all these other things will be added to us. And we thank you for what you're going to do on behalf of this congregation. Now Father as we descend down the mountain. May the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with us until yet we are able to meet again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray together and everyone sang, saying, beloved. Please social distance. God bless you and God keep you. Brotherhood, would you come, Brotherhood? Help us to take in the chairs, the musical equipment. All the brothers, come on, help us. Give us a hand. Oh, help me, Mel. Be in the service one more time.
one more time.